Men. So we are in Genesis chapter 26, starting at verse 34. And we got a good crowd tonight. So like, if y'all keep this up, I'm going to start preparing for these lessons. Um, <laughs> right? The more pe- butts in the seats, the more time I spend preparing them. And so, you know, it's, it's, it behooves us to attend. But we're in Genesis chapter 27, but we're going to start in 26, verse 34, which is probably where the pericope begins. And um, before we do that, though, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would illuminate the text to us. Um, We don't bring anything special to you this evening, but we do ask that you would show us something special about yourself, that we might be able to apply to our lives, that it might change our minds and uh, invigorate our worship and give us more passion and zeal for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so let me read this before we read Genesis 27. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Hmm. Now, if we didn't have that one verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 20, I'm pretty sure that we would completely botch the interpretation of Genesis 27. Even with that verse in Hebrews, people botch the thing. Um, but we have this verse, it's called a, it's a New Testament commentary on this Genesis passage. And it tells us that what's happening here is in some way Isaac blessing Jacob and Isaac blessing Esau and him doing it intentionally by faith. But you're going to see when we read it, it sure seems like he's blessing Jacob against his own will and not blessing Esau at all, if you know the story. So we have to look to this chapter and figure out how how does the author of Hebrews come to this conclusion? And I think think that we have the answer. Um, And hopefully I can get to all of it today. But we'll start in 2634. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife. And Basemath... It sounds like a great name for like an alternative punk band. Base, base math. All right. The daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Sure, polygamy doesn't work. All right, Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Now remember, we're in the book of Genesis, which used to be the whole Bible. Understand? The whole Bible was first oral. Eventually, they got one tablet, the first tablet of Genesis. Then you got a second tablet of Genesis. And it was like the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? <laughs> it really was. It was you had the testament, to, the testimony to, of God's faithfulness. And then another testimony of God's faithfulness. And then there was another one, and there's another one. I can't remember exactly how many tablets make up Genesis, but it's like five or six, I think. And eventually you have the book of Genesis, and it's the Bible. And then later you get the books of the rest of the books of Moses when Moses pins them, um, because it's clear that Moses didn't write um, Genesis, although he may have edited it and compiled it, because it it looks like Adam wrote some of it, and and, uh, Isaac wrote some of it, and it's compiled. But then you get the books of Moses with Joshua, and that's your Bible. And then later you get the uh, Davidic covenant, you get all that. You get the, the minor prophets, the major prophets, the histories, and now you have the whole Bible. And, and it's, it, so that was the Old Testament and then the New Testament. It's a New Testament of what God has done. But then when Jesus comes, the final blossoming of the covenant, you get a New Testament. Right? And you add that one and now you have the whole Bible. So when we're interpreting a particular portion of the Bible, you want to at least... You want to make sure you interpret that with the whole Bible in mind, right? But when you're interpreting the, when you're looking at the grammar and the linguistics of it, you can't take Greco-Greek rules, Greek rules, and throw them back into ancient Hebrew and anachronistically apply them. You kind of have to, when you're looking at the individual words and the meanings of the words and how the word is used, you kind of need to look especially at how it's used by that writer, you see what I mean? Like you could look up the, the, the word love and see how does John use the word love? 
Or how does Paul use the word love? And you, could, and you could come up with a lot of interesting aspects and dynamics and angles on love. In the book of Genesis so far, we've seen that seeing refers to what? Judgment. It's, it's closer to our word perceiving, um, scrutinizing, right? And so now we have in the narrative, Isaac is old. And the narrator needs us to know his eyes are dim and he can't see. What's he telling us? He's, yeah. He's uh, backsliding a bit. Yeah, he's, he's, he's do, he's, he has gone through the fall like Adam did and like David, right? And you see this all over the Bible. You have a new re- reiteration of the covenant with a new patriarch like Isaac and then they fall. Or with David and then they fall. Or with Adam, and then they fall. And then Jesus, and he doesn't fall. So you have this, this kind of this creation and fall motif all over the whole Bible. So here Isaac, he's in his last days. He's not doing well. Okay, he's, good. he's a Christian, but he's not doing well. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now remember, we learned a chapter, a chapter ago that he loved Esau, and Esau was his favorite son because why? Because Esau, Esau knew how to cook that, that gumbo. That's right. He goes to show you, Isaac, Isaac, Isaac is he's getting blind and fat. His, his belly is his God. His belly is his God. That's right. He's, he's, not, he's, he's not persevering as a man of principle, but he's being pulled away by his appetites. And he's still favoring Esau. Let's move on. Now, by the way, you remember this. Who is the covenant promises supposed to be to? Jacob. Says who? Says God. But Isaac says, you go here and I'm going to bless you. So Isaac is in rebellion. Isaac's in sin. He's blind. He's not judging well. God is his belly. He's backsliding Christian. And he's in sin. Um, The blessing is connected to the inheritance. And we already know that God said it's for Jacob. And not only did God say it was for Jacob, Jacob bought it. Remember? Jacob bought it for some red red. That's stew. That's literally in the Hebrew. It's red red. Some blood stew, probably. So it's not, it's not Esau's by any stretch of the imagination. Isaac is being stubborn, though. Now, Rebekah, remember the one who carries the seed, the woman, was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. So now Rebecca, she's going to cook up a plan, literally. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. Like daddy, daddy is being manipulated by his dinner. This is crazy. (laughs) And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Right. (laughs) There's a lot of jokes there, but perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Now, there is so much here. Like, I just am frustrated by this. Um, so let me just rattle off some stuff real quick that I think you should already know. Is it okay for Rebecca to lie? Yes. She is the woman. She is protecting the seed. And she is lying to the one who would try to destroy the seed. Isaac needs to be told, get behind me, Satan. That's what's happening here. Okay, have we seen this happen over and over in the book of Genesis already? Yes, the same thing happens with Abimelech and with Pharaoh and later in Exodus with the the Hebrew midwives and that Pharaoh and ultimately cosmically between God and Satan. 
Tyrants don't deserve the truth. The serpent deceives the woman in the garden. And the, the twist is that the woman would deceive the serpent. And that's how man is saved. You see? So it's, it's Satan seduces the woman. God uses the woman to seduce Satan, to bring about the seed for the salvation of man. And this is another story that's showing that motif in the scriptures, okay? Um, these stories aren't random. They were put in here by the Holy Spirit. And these are oral people that learn their theology through story. And so you have to learn how to interpret it theologically based on what's come before it in the book. See what I mean? Now, there's another thing here. She tells him to go sacrifice a goat, sacrifice a a legitimate sacrificial animal, and cover himself in the skins of the animal. Sound familiar? So that he can receive the inheritance, the blessing. The firstborn falls, right? Does Jacob just therefore deserve it? No, a sacrifice has to be made. He has to be covered in the sacrifice. His father feels and smells the sacrifice. It is pleasing to him, and he blesses the secondborn. Sound familiar? It's the gospel, right? (laughs) Adam falls. Jesus comes. He makes the sacrifice. The father smells the aroma of the sacrifice. Behold my son, and he gives him the inheritance. It's the gospel, it's over and over again, the whole Bible like this. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful thing. We also know that Jacob is the heel grabber. He grabs the heel. And later Esau is going to fuss about that. He's trying to take my inheritance. He's trying to snatch at me. But Esau's the head. He's the firstborn. Can you see what's happening here? I think that in another sense, the head is being wounded by the heel grabber. So it's like it does a switch. So Jacob is going to get a wound on his heel. That's going to happen in a few chapters later when he wrestles with the angel. And Esau, the head, is going to be crushed. So these are beautiful, Holy Spirit-inspired, theologically rich, redemptive narratives. They're not random. When you read a a story in the Bible and you're like, why in the world is that there? It's only because you don't know, right? (laughs) It's not because there's not a reason. Make sense? So there's, oh, there's just so much here, and I just think that's so beautiful. Um, and and uh, so I'm not going to press in too much on why it's okay to lie to tyrants. I've already taught that in many other places. It's very clear. Um, is, was it okay for Jacob to obey her? So she lied, and she told him, you lie too. And she said, Put the curse be on me. Yeah, it's okay for him to do that too. And in, in many ways, he's not lying because he deserves the rights of the firstborn. Um, so, but if she were violating the law, would he ha- would, should, he, should he obey her? No. So you're, I'm just following orders. Is that a legitimate excuse? No. Like when police officers put pastors in prison because of COVID fascist laws, the police officers are sinning. They're not just doing their job, and they should be church disciplined if they're in a church, or something like that. Um, but in this case, um, she is the covenantal head. Why? She's the wife, and Jacob is obeying her rightly, which goes to show you that she's a co-heir, and she is the vice president of this covenant administration. Isaac is the head. She's the vice president. And when the, when the president is acting a fool, then the vice president tricks him, And everybody else needs to go along with the vice president. And what's that doctrine called? The doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Exactly. So there's a lot here. We could spend a long time here, but I've taught on all of those things in other places. So um, download the podcast. What I want to focus on today, and 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 this is, you know, I don't think this is just review. But I want to talk about this idea of blessing. Okay? In this chapter, the word blessing is listed, I, can't, I counted, about 23 times. It's like blessing, 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 blessing. All right? And of course, the Bible talks about blessing all the time. And the Bible also talks about cursing all the time. But when was the last time you, you used the word curse or cursing? I mean, other than saying a curse word. You ever thought about that? 
Do we ever pray curses on people? Right? The Bible has prayers for curses on people all over it. Maybe the Bible's wrong. No, it's not. That can't be. That can't be it. Yeah, we, the idea of blessing and cursing is just not in our um, worldview. And that means our systems, our worldview, our framework is broken. And um, so it's something we really should look into in the Bible, right? Wait, what? What's that? <laughs> well, I, you know, blessings are nice, I think. Blessings are nice. Now, why is this? Why is it that modern-day Christianity never talks about blessings and cursings? Well, they talk about hashtag blessed, um, like in the, in the prosperity gospel sense, but not in the covenantal sense that I'm referring to. And certainly they don't speak about cursings. So that's not positive. My, uh, yes, but let's Yes, that's part of the problem. But that's like, we gotta, I got to try to get to the root here. That's part of it, too. They don't believe in the Old Testament, dispensational framework. Anything else you all want to throw out? I was about to answer it, but there's a lot of reasons. Well, for, I think perhaps the number one reason among good Christians... I'm not, I, obviously, we know why, why non-Christians don't talk about blessings and cursing is they don't believe in a, in a God that rules over the universe providentially and administrates good and bad. They don't believe that at all, right? They might believe in fate or chance or self-determinism, right? But they don't believe in a covenantal Lord mediating history, right? Do what? They believe in an impersonal force that they can kind of maybe manipulate the levers if they work really hard. That's non-Christians. But I mean good Christians. Good Christians, here it is, um, many of them believe that somewhere around 2,000 years ago, um, God switched doing things physical and started doing things spiritual. That there was a lot of physical, material blessings in the Old Testament. Let's name some of them. Land. Grain, kids, money, health, yeah, enemies getting destroyed, um, peace, why? Hey, man, brother. Yeah, there's there's social blessings, there's national blessings, rain, harvests, there's individual blessings, and then there's family blessings and. Now, were there spiritual blessings in the Old Testament? Sure. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, wisdom, eternal life, right? The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, right? The law, the gospel. So there's physical and spiritual promises that come to you through the gospel in the Old Testament. And you can read them. Um, we've, read, we've been studying Genesis. When people are in covenant with Abraham... And they believe in the God of Abraham. How does life go for them? Really good. What if they're an evil tyrant, but they repent? Still goes good for them. Like Abimelech, the second one, right? And maybe the first one. Or Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar, he, he comes to his senses, and he turns, and he's blessed. Or Cyrus, um, because of the influence of Daniel. I mean, you see all over the Bible, you see these Gentiles getting blessings, as they have faith in the gospel. And you see Israelites being blessed and or cursed based on whether or not they have faith in the gospel, which uh, faith in the covenant promises. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was later, later he believed God and, he, and God said, I'm going to pour out more blessings on you. He gives you all these blessings. You believe for more, he gives you more. Okay? But there are many Christians, and this is predominantly in certain this is in predominantly like faithful, smart, Bible-believing Christians. They believe somewhere along 2,000 years ago, all those material and spiritual blessings morphed into the New Testament as just spiritual. Right? So when you talk about uh, the promise of, uh, of children, they might say something like, hey, you don't, you don't know if that's a promise for you. Heck yeah, I do. It's a promise for me. I do. Oh, or wealth. They're like, hey, no, God gives wealth to all kind of people. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I was like, yeah, 
in a general sense, but the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Yeah, but that's spiritual wealth. No, no. It's money. It's greenbacks. There's no way to interpret it as spiritual money. (laughs) Right. So this, I do believe, is a heart of the problem, especially among good Bible-believing folk, is that in somewhere in their worldview or their framework, they think that God's faithfulness and covenantal blessings only occupy the spiritual realm and not the material realm. And so if you're going to get into his good covenant graces, you have to be spiritual. You have to have been born again. And when you are born again spiritually, you enter into his spiritual new covenant, his new testament, where you get spiritual blessings. Now, what about the lion laying down with the lamb? Is that spiritual or material? Is that earthy or spiritual? Lions and lambs. They're earthy. Uh, What about uh, swords into plowshares? Earthy. What about babies? People living to 100 years old and and dying at 100, and people saying, man, he, he died before his time. Is that earthy or spiritual? You see, they see all those earthy promises, and they're like, well, those aren't for the New Testament. So those are going to be fulfilled one day when heaven comes down, when the spiritual comes to the material. But right now, you can jump in by being born again. You can jump into the spiritual New Testament, and you can get all the spiritual blessings. You're not guaranteeing any of the material ones. That's random. He just, common grace, he gives the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Okay? And then when heaven comes down to earth, we get all the material blessings. Well, I mean, everybody agrees with that phrase. Yeah, I mean, it's a good phrase. The, the question I'm trying to say is, between the already and the not yet, do we have any material promises? Well, yes. That's great. Conservatives would call that, some conservatives would call that the prosperity gospel. But the prosperity gospel is different than this. Prosperity gospel doesn't hold to a covenant with terms and conditions and prescribed blessings. In, in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, they're listed. They're listed. There's national promises. There's individual promises. Um, prosperity gospel doesn't think of God as a, in a covenant with you and you fulfilling the terms, which is faith and obedience, and he blesses you in, a, in an ongoing relationship. You tithe, you're faithful, and he, he opens up his, the barns and gives you more money. If I believe they're only spiritual promises, that's spiritual, Pastor Brandon. That's spiritual. He makes, he makes bad people rich too. Yeah, but those aren't blessings. Those are curses. You see, money is a curse too, right? So in the, in the prosperity gospel world, God is a force, and there's certain uh, levers that you can pull to manipulate. You speak it into existence. You name it and claim it. You put God in a corner, and he has to do it because he is a force to be manipulated by human autonomy. So anyway, we're getting a far off field here. But the prosperity gospel is closer to like pantheism, whereas this is covenantal relationship, and the debate is, has he promised us material blessings? Like, what is Isaac passing to Jacob? Goats, sheep, land, bondservants, right? All of these things. Now, here's why it's so important. Because you're going to be passing stuff down to your kids or to your adopted kids or to some, something that you choose, Right? Are you going to be passing down the blessings of God or the rando things that happened to you along your life that pretty much happened to everybody? Yeah, the blessings of God in a real proper sense that he promised you on account of covenantal faithfulness. All right, That's, there's a major difference here. It's a major difference in framework and worldview and the way it will inspire you to live your life is a huge difference. Let me try to look at my notes and get back on track here. Um, hopefully I didn't just confuse everyone. Are, y'all, you have, are we at least in the ballpark together? Okay, all right. Um, if promises are only spiritual, all right, then all of the material promises for society cannot be fulfilled in this life and have to be fulfilled when heaven comes down. What eschatological position is that called? That's premillennialism. At the end, when Jesus returns, at the end of human history. 
yeah, it gets complicated after that. But if, if these spiritual blessings are only true in spiritual ways in heaven, but not down here on earth, what eschatological position is that? Amillennialism. So you can see how all of this is intertwined with eschatology as well. It's very, very important. Um, it's, I mean, people live inconsistent with their beliefs all the time. I know people in our church that believe all kind of things, but they say uh, that they don't have a certain label, but they act like they do, and they believe all the tenets of it. They just don't take the label because they just don't know what they're talking about. All right? That's fine. All right? That's cool. We'll take it. Right? <laughs> but but, but um, living consistently, fortunately, not every Christian lives consistently with their f- false views. But... Um, but you can see how all of this is connected to eschatology as well. But if I'm given promises of God that are material and spiritual, and, and I am told that those promises are for you and for your children, which is precisely what it says to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even Peter says it all over the Bible, when I, then those blessings are coming to me, and then I am passing them down to my children, and they are covenantal blessings, part of which are promised exponential growth if you continue in faithfulness. So do you see how that, just the covenantal application of blessings through generations, which is called succession, creates the idea of progress, multi-generational progress. You see? And not just random, but, but administrated by God, generation after generation. See, that's very important. Um, what if I pass down to my children the material blessings, but I don't pass down to them the spiritual blessings? It's gone. It's revoked. They'll be an Esau. Okay, you getting that? But what if I don't even believe in material blessings? These aren't from God. Everybody gets these. They're not meant for strategic progress. There is no progress. Why polish the brass on a sinking ship? Then I'm going to be prone to what two economic theories? Asceticism and consumerism. That's right. Might as well. This is yucky. This is yucky stuff. That's earthy, not spiritual. Or just gobble it up and eat it up because it has no long-term generational um, uh, strategy or design. All right. So it's connected to this idea is connected to eschatology. It's connected to economics. It's connected to home economics, to family portfolios. It's connected to how much you spend and how much you don't spend. It's connected with how much you really self-consciously see the things in your life as personally given to you by Jesus for his kingdom. It is a major deal. And I do believe it is a terrible, terrible tragedy that there's so many good Christian folks that say and believe we don't get material blessings in light of the covenant anymore, just the spiritual ones. I really think it neuters the Christian church and, and causes a, a lot of, lot of problems. Okay? Um, um, the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the, the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you read all of those, are they, are they material or spiritual? Yes, they're both. <laughs> right. Um, now, what are these? Let's, let's go to the word blessings in uh, particular. What are some of the blessings? We listed all of those and we listed some curses. But what is the relationship between blessings and inheritance? So, because what is it that Jacob bought from Esau? Inheritance. Okay. Um, and I don't know if I'll have time to read the whole story, but... Um, Historically, the older brother got two portions, a double portion of the inheritance. And if you have two brothers, that means there's three parts. Jacob would have gotten one. It's not like the older brother gets everything and the younger brother is disinherited completely. The younger brother gets one third and the older brother would get two thirds. That, of course, meant he gets all the debt, too, if there's debt. He gets two thirds of the debt and two thirds of the responsibility. Right. Um, So Jacob is he bought. Esau's two-thirds, you understand? So that he had three-thirds of the inheritance. He had the whole inheritance, which is what God promised him. So it's all his by title. But Isaac's still alive. So does Jacob get all of it? Not until there is a death. Only through the death of of the one who writes the will can the whole inheritance be passed down to the child which has a lot to do with our salvation and the end of time, and there's a lot to say there. 
Um, but, but in this life, when you are an heir, you get a portion of your inheritance in this life. And I think that's what is meant by a blessing. Okay? So if you'll notice here, when he goes before the father, the father keeps saying, come, make meal that I might bless you, that I might bless you. And then other chapters it says, let me buy your inher- the inheritance. And God says the inheritance goes to him. Well, which is it? Blessings or inheritance? Blessing or inheritance? See, there's a connection. The inheritance is the whole thing. A blessing is a portion of it while dad's still alive. You see what I mean? Until you're, now when you are grown and ready to take the entire inheritance, then that day will come and the whole thing will be handed to you. If, of course, you have done what? Been faithful with the blessings. But if you're an Esau and you despise the blessing and you're a bad steward, those who have, right, more will be given to them. But those who do not have, that which they do have will be taken from them and given to the others. You see, so now stewardship and blessings and inheritance is all mixed up inside the same concept. You're getting blessed right now. If you are getting blessed, it's only because you are an heir. God only blesses his heirs. And they are down payments on your full inheritance. They're also tests and opportunities for training, right? To steward and manage properly for the king. And that blessing you're given is not just spiritual, it's material. And what should you do with it when, it when it comes to you? There's rules about how to properly steward that portion of the inheritance. There should be tithing. But also, it should be handed down to the next generation. That's going to require you being wise about it and turning it into assets and, and making a profit. What did Jesus say the wise servant does? He invests it and he turns it into a profit. So that when your son is, or your kids are ready to step into their inheritance, they have more than you had. And it's more what? More blessings of their ultimate inheritance, but it's your full inheritance to them. And then they pass it to the next one, and we have more blessings, more inheritance, being faithfully stewarded, progress, physically and spiritually, in time, in a linear fashion. And I do believe when, if, if God's spirit moves, that sort of covenantal, multi-generational succession and faithfulness is what would eventually be the engine where we would be able to see around the world the lying, laying down with the lamb, things like that. All right. So there's, hopefully that was helpful to you. But listen to this passage, Exodus 15, 26. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God... Should you give heed to the voice of the Lord your God? Okay. If you do. And do what is right in his sight. Should you do what is right in his sight? And give ear to his commandments. Should you give ear to his commandments? Yeah. And keep all of his statutes, which are the case laws, the little minor ones that are attached to the big ones. Commandments, the top ten, then the statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Physical blessing, it's still today, it's still today. Ask me the infant mortality rate compared to Christian nations versus pagan nations. There's no comparison. The, the length of lifespan, the, uh, the, the, um, where medicine and hospitals come from. In fact, in pagan nations, the only reason they have medicine and hospitals is because Christians put them there. Right? God is fulfilling his covenant promises. He is blessing us physically. But we are back here in the state saying, oh, no, these aren't his covenantal blessings. These are randomly given. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's no predictable patterns. There's no potential for progress. One day in the future, in that sweet by and by, but not today. And I really think this is a sin. I really think it's a a bad, bad sin. It's a bad, bad sin. And it might even be a theological construct to suppress our responsibilities so that we can consume more. Maybe. Worst case, you know. Now listen to this in Psalm 19, verse 11. This is for the individual. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, the commandments. In keeping the commandments, there is great reward. Is that true for you? Oh, Pastor Brandon, you mean spiritually, right? You mean spiritually. No, no, I mean spiritual and physical. 
So you're saying bad things won't happen to me? No. But when bad things happen to you, there'll be blessings. So you're saying good things don't happen to pagans? Oh, yeah, they do. But when good things happen to pagans, they're curses. You are being blessed because you are an heir. And they are being cursed because they are not heirs. Now, of course, if they repent, then what? God kills the fatted calf, right? And we shouldn't be mad about that. Even if they repent the last day of, of their, their nasty old lives, we should still repent. I mean, we should still be glad that God gives them because it's all of grace. Amen? All right, good. <clears throat> um, is this work salvation? It's covenant. It's covenant. It's covenant. Good. Um, how about this one? Psalm thirty-seven twenty-two. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. So now we're getting into the area of curses. Now, so if God is administrating, Jesus is administrating the new covenant, blesses, curses, um, which are down payments on inheritance. What's a curse a down payment on? Disinheritance from the land, which means when you're cut off from the earth, what does that mean? Hell. That's hell. They're the only ones that will be saying, this earth is not our home, we're just a passing through. They'll be, they'll be passing through into hell. All right? And so Jesus is administrating, here's a portion of the inheritance, here's a portion of the disinheritance. Now, does he go full bore? Or does prayer have something to do with it? The Bible says prayer has something to do with it. In fact, it says that you can pray for more blessings. You could. Now, of course, if you're living in sin, do you think those prayers are going to be answered? Why would he give you? <laughs> you're like, a, it's like a, a, your manager, you own a gas station, and the manager keeps stealing money, and he wants a pay raise. <laughs> Not going to happen. But he's your adopted son, so you're working with him. But he's not getting a raise, right? <laughs> See what I mean? So, so Jesus, is in, Jesus is ruling over the earth with these curses and blessings, down payments on inheritance and disinheritance. And the Bible says that prayers have something to do with it. And we do what? he's bugging him. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Petition is a type of prayer and a type of psalm where you are praying for more blessing. Right? Imprecatory psalms are those where you are praying for your enemies to be cursed. That's right. Uh, or, or to be converted, killed, or turned into Christians, one or the other. And those are, that's, we should be praying all of those things because he is ruling and we, is, we are his bride. Um, now, when our children are born into a Christian family, would we say they are blessed? Do you mean that technically? They are blessed covenantally, according to the terms of the covenant? On whose, on whose faith? They haven't even had faith. Based on whose faith? Your faith, the parents' faith. Why was Isaac blessed, if you remember a couple chapters back? Why was he put in the covenant and blessed? Because of Abraham's faith. That happens all over the Bible, all over the Bible. Now, if they turn like Esau and they, ref they are like, I don't like this inheritance. I don't want this. They see all the blessing. It's theirs. Kid, look, one day I'm going to be old and die. It's going to all be yours. The material and the spiritual is all going to be yours. If they don't want it, then that's what we call an apostate. And they're they will be disinherited. They will be an Esau. Side note, if you have a kid that turns out to be an Esau, don't give him an inheritance because you're disinheriting the faithful ones and you are sinning against God's kingdom and the potential progress in the future by disinheriting your righteous kids. You're pulling an Isaac. See what I mean? All right, so if your kids are apostate, you, they get cut out of the will. Absolutely. All right, if they're uh, doofuses, don't give them too much blessing too soon, right? <laughs> Don't give them a big allowance if they're a doofus. Right? And sometimes, right? And sometimes if they have a lot of money, it's a test. It's a real test. That's what Shira, y'all know Shira, her biological dad sends her tons of money. Huge test. 
It's a huge test because it gives her the power to be independent. She doesn't need mom and dad's money. So she has this test. And it's like probably the biggest trial she'll probably face for many years is that. Will it be a blessing or will it be a cursing? So far, she's doing great. But, uh, and, but uh, you can see it, though. You can see it in people's lives. Some of y'all, you, get a, you can get a huge paycheck, a huge promotion. And, and uh, will that be a blessing or will it be a curse, you know? Something to think about. Um, <clears throat> when, uh, let me see, anything else I want to say about blessings and cursings? We've got about 10 more minutes. Um, what if your apostate child repents? Should they be given blessings back again? Sure, yeah. I mean, it might be, some things might be too late, but you, you want to bring them back into the fold and bless them, right? Um, yeah, I think that's good. Any thoughts or any questions on that? Uh, one, one more thing. Um, is Satan trying to steal the blessings? Yes. The, the ministry of Satan is always trying to attack the kingdom of God. Does the kingdom of Satan want to see that multi-generational succession and that progress into the future? No. So would it make sense for the kingdom of Satan to have a, a, a bureaucratic um, power here on the earth that his sole task is to steal from you and redistribute to the wicked? Yes, they're called the... Seriously. Dead serious. And you should do everything you can to keep your money out of their evil satanic hands. I'll just leave that with no qualifiers. I'm on the right side of history. Do what? Yeah. Oh, there's qualifiers. Oh, so you're saying no taxes? Taxes are sinful? No, I didn't say that. Okay, there's a lot of qualifiers, trust me. No qualifiers. So, good. So, uh, when the, the kingdom of Satan tries to steal your child's inheritance, which God has given you as a blessing, you, look, you don't want to lose the battle. You don't want to win the battle and lose the war. They have big guns. So, we're not saying be a kamikaze. God never called anyone to be a kamikaze. God never called anyone to die on principle, unless it's an actual principle, right? <laughs> right? You don't die for material, for money. Because what does God say? I mean, he can use their oppression to promote you. Put Joseph in prison, got him the head of the, of the entire state. Put Jesus in the tomb, save the whole world, right? So even if they get you, don't get down, right? Caesar Augustus restructured all of society to have this, this stupid census. So everyone had to stop what they were doing and move around all that. I mean, you thought COVID was a restructuring the Augustus Caesar's uh, census was terrible, but it's, it's how the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and fled to Egypt. God orchestrates everything, um, even when it seems like you're losing, right? Even when you lose, you win, and when you win, you win, because you're blessed. It's all blessings, right? So, when to be a Naboth? Oh, well, when God tells you not to. I mean, the, the vineyard was land apportioned to him and his tribe, and God did not allow them to sell it off to other people because God set the boundaries of each tribe. That was, that was God's kingly domain. That was, like, that was like the land of the Lord. Now, if you live on the Lord's land, he's got his deer forest, and he's got his farms, and, he's got, and you don't do anything if he doesn't say. So that's a, that's a, a little bit different. Um, we, I would not encourage us to die for eminent domain, right? That would be ridiculous because your kids won't have a dad, right? You, gotta, you, don't, wanna, you don't lose the battle. You want to win the war, right? So you got to be strategic. You got to be smart. The only way, there's, there's more than one way to fight, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, we might all be disinherited. Uh, well, we can't be disinherited, but we might all have all of our blessings stolen from us, at least temporarily, because of this, this latest H.R. 8404 bill that just passed through the Senate, which uh, means the federal government can now use federal power to enforce uh, homosexual marriage. And anyone who discriminates against it can be prosecuted in a court of law and be disenfranchised completely. The, the Senate just passed that with the help of about 25 Republicans. And it's going to the House. It's expected to pass. And, of course, the president is going to sign it because he's a minister of Satan. Um, and, uh, and, and churches all over the country, could, there could be open war on countries. 
I mean, our nation has, the federal government has declared war on Christians, for sure. This is a declaration of war. Um, but I do think here in Louisiana, we got a long way before we need to worry about it directly. Because Louisiana still has a little bit of residue of uh, Christ- Christendom. A little bit. So, Well, let's move on here. Verse 14. And I realize um, some of you are, don't come here every single time. You know, so I just said a whole lot really fast in about 40 minutes. So if you have any questions, hit me up later. Verse 14, got five minutes. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to the father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. Right? Um, But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. That's true. You know, no lies detected there. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So, you, so he blessed him. So when the son draws near to the father, the father thinks that the son is the firstborn on account of the sacrificial animal, and he blesses him. Sound familiar? It's the, the robes of righteousness, the robes of Christ, which are that we adorn, and in Christ we are blessed by the Father, even though, of course, we are not the firstborn and we don't deserve it. <laughs> yes. And, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And in some sense, he is the firstborn now. He's the, he is, has it by divine right. Then he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought the sacrifice near to him, and he ate it. Sacrifice is always eaten. God eats it on the altar as the smoke goes up to him, and he takes it into himself, just as we take in the Lord's Supper and the sacrifice of Christ into ourselves and are united to it um, symbolically. So he brought it near to him, and he ate it, and he brought him wine, and he drank. It's always wine in a sacrificial meal. They never poured out juicy juice on the altar. You pour out wine, and there's a very important reason for that, because wine makes the heart merry. It is a blessing from the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking, speaking to the crowd, on, to the choir on that one. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's skip down to... Uh, I got to get to this real quick. Um, Let's skip all the way down to verse 39. You know the story. Esau comes in and he's like, wow, is there anything left for me? You should read it later. It's really tragic. But this is what Jacob says. Can someone open up the King James on this real quick? I don't want to run out of time here. Verse 39. No, let me read the ESV first. Listen to this. See if y'all can pick this up. Because remember what Hebrews said at the very beginning of class. We said, by faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Ah, but Jacob just took it. Esau had nothing, and we didn't read the section, but he tells Esau there's nothing less. I've already given three-thirds. There's only three and three. So how can he bless Esau? It's in verse 39 and 40. He says, Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. That means you could be cursed. And away from the dew of heaven on high, you could be cursed. But listen to how the King James writes it. So which is it? Then he says, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. So you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, if you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck and not serve him anymore. 
that language is just as ambiguous as that earlier verse. The reason why the KJV and the ESV have both sides of this is because it's ambiguous. The Hebrew can go both ways. And then he says, you're going to serve him. But if you get restless, you're going to stop serving him. And you're going to not be his bondservant anymore. All right? Here's the point. There is no more inheritance for Esau. It's all Jacob's. But how can he live a blessed life? Serve Jacob. In Jacob, Esau can be blessed. And in fact, that's a prophecy for later on in Scripture. In Jacob, because Jacob is the Jesus in this story. Jacob is the seed. He is the, the heir. He is the one that has the covenant promises. But if Esau could be a bondservant of Jacob, he would also receive the covenantal blessings. So in Jacob, Esau is blessed as well. And I do think that's how Hebrews says he blesses both of them in faith. Now, but what about Isaac? What, he was being a naughty boy, right? I'll show you one last thing. Verse 33, when he finds out he's been tricked, it says this, then Isaac trembled very violently. All right. Now, if, if you and I were in a con- having a contract and I pretended to be someone else and I lied and wrote up some things and had someone else sign it, would that be enforceable? Of course not. J- Isaac would be like, okay, you, dra- you got me, good one, but it's not yours. It's, it's not a void. You don't get to like trick people into taking an inheritance. That's called fraud. Right? So why doesn't when Isaac find out he got me, why doesn't he say, oh, that's fraud, back to Esau? Because he knows he was doing wrong. That's why when he's busted, he trembles very violently. It's the fear of the Lord. That's why I think Hebrews says he has faith. If you have fear, you have faith. You might be in sin, but you break down in fear over that sin. That's evidence that you have faith. That's why when I'm counseling someone and they're really tore up about their sin and they're afraid God's going to smite them, and they just feel like their life is over. I think into my, in my heart, I think they're going to be okay. Because right? <laughs> people that have no faith, they never come to me for counseling over their sin. They act like they never have any sin. You see what I'm saying? He knows he's done wrong. He's trembling very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. You see, he repented. Isaac repented right there. I think that's the whole story. All right, y'all have a great evening.